My name is Chris Genders. I'm the lead student pastor. Uh, work middle school, high school, and college. and Work with Pastor Brandon um, as well. And uh, it is my privilege to preach this morning. We're closing out a, a sermon series that we started, that we're doing contained all in the month of May uh, called Open Hands. We're going to start a new summer series next Sunday. Uh, pastor Jake will be back, our lead pastor. Uh, he's gonna, we're going to do a verse-by-verse -verse study through Colossians this summer. So we encourage you to go ahead and start reading the book of Colossians. Uh, get ready for that. We're going to study that all summer long. Uh, here at the church, but uh, we're going to close out today this series called Open Hands. And Pastor Jake has been reminding us the previous three weeks that, that you and I were, were born with this selfish nature, right? We, we struggle to share with others. We're, we're born with this natural desire to close our hands, to, to live life like this, uh, to close our hands to others, to close our hands to God. And yet as Christ followers, we're called to, to live life of open hands, open to what God wants to do in our life, open to, to others and, and what God may want us to do with them, with our stuff, our possessions, our money, uh, everything. God calls us to, to be good stewards of these resources he's given us and to do that by living open-handed. So we've been looking at this from, from a few different directions, a few different angles. Week one, Pastor Jake talked about being open-handed with God. And, and he reminded us that, that scripture over and over and over says uh, that God you know, forgives us so we must forgive others. God shows compassion to us, so we must show compassion to others. And he used that as an example to say God has demonstrated that he's open-handed to us, and so we need to be open-handed back towards God and towards others. Week two, Pastor Jake talked about being open-handed with our faith, and Pastor Lizzie referenced that earlier with the invite cards, that, that our faith is not about us. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about those that the gospel has not yet reached and, and how dare we hold tightly this truth of the gospel rather than living open-handed and sharing that with everyone around us. Last week, he talked about being open-handed with our finances. And, and he challenged us to be generous with our, our money and our resources. And it's not because God or the church needs your money. It's because God needs your heart. And so often, God has written over 2,000 scriptures in the Bible about money and possessions because he knows that we're going to struggle to live open-handed with our money and our resources. And today, we're going to close out with a, with a, a Sunday, just one Sunday, about being open-handed in times of trouble, when life is difficult, when life is, is falling apart and it doesn't make sense. And I'll be honest, I'm just going to scratch the surface on this. I mean, one sermon is not going to cover this topic, right? There are books and books and books and resources out there that cover this topic. In fact, one of my favorite authors, uh, Tim Keller, uh, wrote about this in one of his books called The Reason for God. A little background on Tim Keller. He was uh, a pastor that planted a Presbyterian church in New York City, he and his wife and kids, uh, 20 plus years ago. It's grown to be over 5,000 people coming together in this mainline Presbyterian church. And, and it's in New York City, so urban environment. A lot of very young professionals that are very intelligent, very articulate, and they have a lot of questions. And, and he's not only planted that church, but he's led a movement to plant other churches in urban environments um, all over the world. And Christianity Today magazine said, 50 years from now, if evangelical Christians are widely known for their love of cities, for their commitment to mercy and justice, and their love of their neighbors, Tim Keller will be remembered as a pioneer of the new urban Christians. I remember hearing once that, that after each worship service, Tim Keller invites anybody in the crowd to come forward, sit front row, and they'll do a Q&A, live question. Doesn't have to be about the sermon that he talked about. It can be about anything, any question about faith, any question about God, about other religions, all this kind of stuff. And, and remember, these are young professionals that are, are, are raised in a really skeptical environment. 
They're raised with this idea of all religions are equal and everything is the same. And we have to accept everybody and everything. They, they don't really like absolute truth. They don't like one way is the only way. And so he invites them up to these questions, to have these questions. And he wrestles through faith with them. And he wrote this book, Reason for God. He took many of those questions, many of those objections, and, and he wrote the, this book. And in the first half of the book, it's, it's divided into two halves. Great book. I highly recommend it. First half of the book, he addresses common arguments against God. He, he says, here's why people say God doesn't exist. And, and here's their arguments for it. And here's how I'm going to debunk that. And, and so here's the chapter titles in the first half of the book. There can't be just one true religion. How could a good God allow suffering? Christianity is a straitjacket. The church is responsible for so much injustice. How can a loving God send people to hell? Science has disproved Christianity. You can't take the Bible literally. The first half of the book is just those questions alone, explaining why people have those positions and then how to defend those positions against those positions. And then the second half of the book, he presents arguments for the existence of God. Uh, so the book chapters include the clues of God, the knowledge of God, the problem of sin, religion and the gospel, the, the true story of the cross, the reality of the resurrection and the dance of God. I, go out and buy this book. I, I've given it to teenagers. I've given it to adults. It, it will take your simplistic platitudes about God and it will shatter them. It will help you understand what many people outside of the church are wrestling with. And if we're honest, some of us in here are wrestling with those questions. Today, I want to tackle uh, just one, just one of those questions as we close out this open-handed sermon, sermon series. If God is so good, then why does he allow evil and suffering? If God is so good, why does he allow evil and suffering? If we're honest... <clears throat> There's moments when God doesn't make sense, aren't there? There's, there's moments when we wonder if God is really in control. How is that possible? There's moments when we wonder if, if God really is good. We, we sing that song. We sang it this morning, Good, Good Father. Is he really? When, when, when times of trouble hit, when evil and suffering are prevalent all around us, is God still good? When tragedy strikes, when, when the expected becomes the unexpected, when life is falling apart around you and everything seems out of your control, how can God be good? How can, how can he still be in control? Maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he doesn't care about my pain. Maybe he doesn't care about my suffering that I'm going through. God can't be good. As a pastor, I get invited into some of the most difficult and most painful situations in people's lives. I've walked alongside families in this church when they've gotten the cancer diagnosis. They've come in, they said, can I, can I talk with you, pastor? Yeah. And we cry together. We laugh together. And we just walk through what it, what it feels like to, to have a doctor say that word to you. I've walked alongside families with abuse and neglect. I've had couples come in and, and argue in front of me as their marriages are falling apart and affairs have come out, hidden sins have, have come out. I've walked alongside families that have lost jobs and income and homes and everything. I've walked alongside people that 
that are struggling with addictions and can't seem to get out of them. I've walked alongside loss of loved ones, whether young or old. I've walked alongside families when suicide has touched their life, their world. And it's not just moments like these when we struggle with the goodness of God. We look around the world and we, we see it falling apart around us. Natural disasters, famine, homelessness, poverty, war, terrorism, school shootings. I wrote this, this message. I started writing this message two weeks ago, and right after I started writing it was the Santa Fe school shooting. And then as I'm finishing prep for it the last few days, Noblesville, Indiana, school shooting, right? And I'm not going to talk about school shootings. We're going to get a political stance about guns or anything like that. I'm just saying you can't turn on the news and not wonder about this world sometimes. Is God still good? Is God still in control? Does God care about my pain? Two weeks ago, many of you know a teenager in our community died on Route 116. I was up in Chicago performing a wedding for a family member, and I had seen on social media somebody had posted about the road being closed due to a bad accident. And of course, I start praying. I don't have any other details. After the wedding, we're taking pictures and I see I've got a missed call from somebody in the community. They just wanted to let me know about the accident in case I didn't know because they'd heard that it was some young people that were involved in it. I didn't know who. I didn't have a name. So we're praying. We go to the reception and <clears throat> we're having a great time. Family wedding. It's Karen's cousin. He was five when I started dating Karen. I did his wedding two weeks ago. It was, I'm not getting any older. He got older. <laughs> well, we've got a two and a half hour drive back on Saturday night because I've got to be here for church on Sunday morning. And we're in this restaurant reception, big place. And it's up on the second floor. And Karen and Morgan are already down on the first floor. And Ethan and I, my 16-year-old, are walking down the stairs. And my phone vibrates. And so I look at it, and I just stop, because I suddenly had a name, and it was a name I knew. My son got a text from somebody as well, almost simultaneously, and we both kind of stopped and looked at each other, Karen down the bottom, come on, we got to go, what's going on? And I was just, I was numb. I walked down the stairs, I couldn't even talk, I just held it up to her. Showed her who it was. Her name was Kennedy Vogt. She uh, graduated Metamora last year. She and her family attended Northwoods. Her mom's on staff at Northwoods um, in student ministry. And so I've networked with her mom over the years. I'm talking about student ministry life. We've traveled together to conferences. Kennedy was going to start an internship on Monday at Northwoods in student ministry. 
she, uh, she was going, getting ready, just like we prayed over our Peru team. She was getting ready to, to go to Brazil on a mission trip. But that's not why it hit me. It hit me because she grew up in my youth group here. She wasn't just another name. She was a middle schooler in Breakaway. She traveled with me on the first ever middle school missions trip. She was one of those kids that just stood out because of her love for God. She wasn't perfect. I walked alongside her, walked alongside her family through some difficult times. It wrecked me. I didn't know you could sob uncontrollably while shaving your head and face, but I found out two weeks ago as I was getting ready for church, and the tears didn't stop for days. We went to the visitation at Northwoods. Thousands. I don't know how many people came through. Went to the funeral. I thought I had cried all my tears till the funeral. The Northwoods did an amazing job honoring her. But I wrestled with the goodness of God at this moment. It didn't make sense to me. Why would God, if he's really good, if he's really in control, why would God allow this to happen? I mean, if God is, is so powerful, split-second change in timing could have saved her life. That accident never would have happened. The other student involved in the accident would never struggle with what happened. God, if you're so good, why didn't you stop this? I didn't have answers. You read Kennedy's senior quote in Metamora High School yearbook last year, Philippians 121, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I mean, testimony after testimony after testimony, her life purpose was to bring glory to God. She did that while she was alive, and I know that she's going to continue to do that even now in her death. But I'll be honest, I didn't like it. Still don't. Her death challenged me in ways that that few other things have in my walk with God. I was shocked, confused, angry. I had a lot of questions for God. I was Job, crying out to God. Do you know Job in the Old Testament? We just finished reading, if you're doing the Bible in a year with us, we just finished reading it about a week ago. Job was an upright and honest and righteous man. It starts out and, and he, his children are having a feast and when the feast is over, which oftentimes lasted many days, he went and he, he prayed and he made sacrifices and, and, and confessed maybe just in case his kids sinned in the midst of this party. He wanted to protect them, cover over them. And one day, Job chapter one tells us that God is holding court up in heaven and all of the angels are there. And in comes Satan, just strolls in. And God doesn't like yell at him. God doesn't kick him out. God goes, hey, what's up? What have you been up to? 
And you're like, whoa, hold up. I didn't think that was God and Satan's relationship. Like, why is God just having a friendly conversation with Satan? He's going to mess with your theology a little bit. I'm going to get, I'm make it even worse here in a second. Satan's like, oh, I, you know, I've just been doing my job. I'm going out testing people, seeing who's faithful. God goes, hey, have you, have you looked at my, my servant Job? Wait, what? Like, Job wasn't on Satan's radar. Read, read Job chapter 1. Job was not on Satan's radar until God says, have you looked at my servant Job? And Satan goes, no, I haven't. Thanks. God says, you can do anything you want to him, just don't kill him. And so Satan takes that literally. He kills all of his kids, his whole family. Destroys all of his possessions. Job still doesn't curse God. So Satan's like, okay, I'm going to cover you head to toe in boils. And you're going to sit. And scripture tells us that he took a pot shard. Job took a pot shard and scraped boils off while he sat in ashes. Beautiful picture, right? And I'm sitting here going, God, come on now. Why did you do this to Job? I thought he was an upright, righteous man. Well, Job's got some friends, really good friends. They come along and for days they sit and they accuse him of sinning and sinning greatly. Surely, Job, you've done something to deserve the punishment from God. That's really simplistic theology. If something bad happens to me, I must have done something to deserve this. And Job goes, no, I didn't do a thing. I don't know what you're talking about. But they persist on and on and on. Eventually, his wife even says, curse God and die. Great woman. (laughs) And finally... Job begins to ask some questions of God. Job begins to let the human side of him come out. He's like, yeah, I got some questions. God, I, I don't understand this. Why, why is this happening to me? What have I done? Like, why, is, why is this suffering happening to me? And I love Job's, or God's response to Job. Chapter 38 says, then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, not how I want to hear from God. I like the gentle whisper, not the whirlwind. Who is this that questions, I'm sure God sounds like that, right? Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man because I've got some questions for you and you've got to answer them. Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. And God just goes in on Job for like three chapters. And I'm picturing Job just getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, under, overwhelmed by God's question, because God doesn't let up. He's like, surely you control the weather. Surely you know the limits of the ocean. Surely you know where the animals get their food. Surely you know how the constellations hold up in the sky and how the galaxy works. Surely, Job, you're so smart, you know all this. So tell me. God just does a smackdown on Job. And I'm thanking God it was Job and not me. God's a little mysterious to me in the book of Job. He's mysterious to me in the book of Habakkuk as well. If you don't know the story of Habakkuk, he's one of the minor prophets in, in the Old Testament. He's not Jonah, so you probably skip over him, right? Um, but <laughs> Habakkuk is a prophet of God in the nation of Judah. So he's one of these people that's, that's standing up for God wanting to do the right things for God. 
And, and he's looking around at his own people, the nation of Judah, and he sees rampant sin and violence. And he cries out to God, God, do you not see this? I, I'm, I'm down here, God. I'm, I'm trying to get these guys to do what's right. But you're not helping at all. It's just going on and on and on. Do, do you not have power? Are you weak? Do you not have ability to change this? Do you not care about your people anymore? I thought we were your people. And God goes, oh, I, I, I see it. And Habakkuk's like, great, good. And God goes, I'm, I'm going to do something about it. And Habakkuk's like, great, you are a loving God. You're a merciful God. I know you're going to do something really amazing, perform a miracle. And God says, yeah, I'm going to send in the nation of Babylon. We're going to kill. We're going to destroy. We're going to deport the people of Judah. And Habakkuk's like, whoa, hold up. You're not making sense, God. It's not how I pictured you working in this moment. So we need to pause here for a little bit and talk about God's sovereignty. It's a big theological term we throw around in seminary, Bible college and seminary, but here's what it is. The sovereignty of God simply refers to the fact that God is in complete control of the universe, that God can and does directly cause some things to happen. However, God also allows some things to happen outside of his direct involvement. The sovereignty of God is a theological position that tells us that ultimately God's will is going to be accomplished in this world. God is described in the Bible, and I've got some fill in the blanks here for you, but it's going to go pretty quickly, so get your pens ready. God is described in the Bible as, as all-powerful and all-knowing. And you can look at the scriptures later. God is all-powerful and all-knowing. That God exists outside of time. That God is responsible for the creation of everything. These attributes of God set God's sovereign control at a minimum as being over here, controlling everything, allowing everything to happen. I mean, the sovereignty of God, if God is all-knowing, all-powerful, in control, created everything, then nothing happens, nothing can exist, nothing goes on in our world without God at least allowing it to happen. And yet on the other end of the spectrum, the Bible also tells us that God offers humanity choices, that he holds us personally responsible for our sins, that sometimes he's, he's unhappy with some of our actions, which tells us that God's sovereignty has at a maximum over here the free will of man, that there are some things that happen in this world that God does not cause, but he allows because he gives us choice, freedom to sin. So somewhere in the middle of this spectrum is the question, the answer to the questions of evil and suffering. Somewhere between these two wide spectrums, God allowing everything to happen and, and, and God giving us freedom as man to sin, somewhere in the middle is this question of, is God still good? Is God still in control? See, we have to... We have to realize that there's only two potential responses to the question of suffering. Either suffering has no purpose, which many people believe, or suffering actually has a purpose. And we don't like that. Because we don't want to suffer. We don't want anything bad to happen to us. We don't want times of trouble. And when I talk about suffering, 
having a purpose. I'm not saying that, that God is directly causing suffering in our lives. Although I don't think God's malevolent in that regard, but I think he, he does allow things to happen. And sometimes I think he tests us. What I am saying is that God will use your suffering. That he can redeem my suffering. That he can use suffering for his good and his, or for our good and for his glory. Think about this. In, in times of suffering, we draw close to God. I think back to 9-11 and, and how many people flocked to churches across the United States for two weeks um, after 9-11 because they were looking for solace. They were looking for an answer to evil and suffering in the world. C.S. Lewis, and they said this quote at Kennedy's funeral, uh, that God whispers to us in our pleasure but shouts to us in our pain. We draw close to God. We move towards God when we suffer, sometimes more so than when life is going well. And then not only do we move towards God, but God moves towards us. God meets us in our sufferings. We don't worship a God who doesn't understand suffering. We worship a God who, who entered our suffering through Jesus. I think of Hebrews chapter 4. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, kneeling, praying, sweating drops of blood, saying, God, if there is any other way than this cup of suffering and wrath to be poured upon me, if there's any other way, one of the times we get a glimpse of Jesus' humanity, full-on humanity. God, I don't, I don't know that I want to go through this. I don't like suffering. I don't like pain, Jesus is saying. And yet he surrenders to God's sovereignty. And he says, not my will be done, but your will be done. When we suffer, we discover a God whose love for us is bigger than we ever imagined. Bigger, I think, than even in times of joy and happiness when things are going well. In our suffering, we, do, we discover a Heavenly Father who can't wait to embrace us and hold us close. I think of my own kids when, when they're hurting, when they're struggling, when they're suffering. Either something of their own actions or something has been done to them. My heart as a father just goes out to my kids. And if you don't have teenagers yet, I'm just going to warn you, it doesn't stop when they become teenagers they're just harder to hug, right? They don't want to be hugged as much. But when my kids hurt, I hurt. And the Bible tells us that God is our Heavenly Father. And do you think that when we hurt, He doesn't? He absolutely does. Now, here's the reality, though. When we go through periods of intense pain and suffering and loss, we're changed. There's a, a transformation that happens as we go through this. Life, life can still be good on the other side of suffering, but it will always be different. You can't take away the, the battle with cancer. You can't take away what was done to you. You can't take away the, the history of addiction. You can't resurrect a loved one who died. That's the challenge of being a follower of Jesus. If we believe, truly believe in the sovereignty of God and 
the goodness of God, then even when we suffer, God is good. Even when we hurt, God is good. Even when our life seems out of control, this world seems out of control, God is good. Job discovers this. He bows his head in reverence and submission to God. We read in the final chapter of Job, these words uttered by Job. God, I know that you can do anything, and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It's me. I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. You, you said, listen, and I'll speak. I have some questions for you, and, and you must answer them, Job. I, I'd only heard about you before. But now I've seen you with my own eyes, Job says. I take back everything I said. I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Habakkuk tells us that we can still worship, even in suffering. We can still worship when the world is out of control, when it's not making sense, when God is doing the unexpected. Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18 he says these words, and I think they're, they're some of the most poetic in Scripture. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, there's no grapes on the vines. Even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren. Even though the, the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty. In other words, everything. Agrarian society, I've lost everything. Nothing is left. I have nothing to stand on. Yet, Habakkuk says... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. When, when life is falling apart around you, God is calling you to be open-handed in times of trouble. When the world doesn't make sense to you, God is calling you to accept that he is still in control, that he will still use your pain and suffering to bring about good, to bring glory to him. See, here's the, the dilemma that we all face in times of trouble. Is God still allowed to be God when we hurt? Is God still allowed to be God when we suffer, when we struggle? Is God still the center of our worship? Is God still sitting on the throne when I'm hurting? Or have I, in my pain and my suffering and loss, dethroned God and put myself where only God belongs. When we suffer, when we go through tragedy, we tend to lose sight of God and focus only on ourselves, and God is crying out to us, look to me, even in your pain, even in your loss, even in your suffering. We have to, to yield to God's sovereignty and believe that God will cause good to come, even from that painful tragedy, that painful time, you're going through. You have to believe it. We can't understand it. In fact, sometimes there are no answers. I've walked alongside all these families and Kennedy's death and I'm walking alongside families still. I don't have answers for them. I, I just don't. A lot of times I don't. 
Sometimes I think if we come in and we, we, we come into a situation and we try to answer all the questions as if we know, we actually do more harm than good. There's a, an ancient Hebrew practice called sitting Shiva. And it's the third phase of five phases of mourning. Think about how we mourn when we lose, when we suffer loss. Maybe a day, maybe a two. They go through five, they went through five stages of mourning. And the third one lasted, sitting Shiva, lasted seven days. And all it was, was the family would sit at home and friends would surround them. The friends wouldn't say a word. They would just sit with the family. And the family would ask questions and cry and laugh and share memories and, and all of these things. And they would just remember the, lo- the, the loved one that they lost. Sometimes we, we don't need to have answers. Sometimes we just need to sit with people in their pain and not try to rush them through it. Not try to pick them up and say, hey, you're fine. Get over it. Get on with it. Sometimes we just have to walk into somebody's mess, their pain, their chaos, and go, I am so sorry. I don't, I don't have answers for you. I don't have the words to say. But I'm just going to sit here in this time, in this space. I'm going to be with you through this. We have to remember that God has done some incredibly good things for us in our past. It's one of the things that helped Habakkuk. As he got to this point where he could worship God again in the midst of this impending doom on Judah, he went back through the history of the people of God. And he said, God, I remember when you did this. I remember when you did this. I remember when you did this. God, you are good. I have a long history of that where you've proven that to me. And I'm going to believe that you're still good even in this moment. And then we have to worship God despite the storms of life because they're going to come. None of us are, are immune to suffering. None of us are immune to tragedy. Every person in this room has probably already been touched by loss, by tragedy, by suffering. Some of us are going to go through it today, this week. Who knows what it's going to be? It's never the expected. It's always the unexpected. And when those moments come, trust that God is still good, that God is still in control. We've been doing these open-handed prayers, Pastor Jake has, the last three weeks, and I believe we've got them in U version. You can check them out, all four of them there. But my open-handed prayer for today is this. Heavenly Father, help me trust that you're good, even in the midst of pain and suffering. Grant me a willing heart that surrenders to your sovereignty. Give me eyes to see my light and momentary troubles through the lens of eternity. We're going to sing a song. We aren't, actually. Uh, Pastor Fabiano and Janelle are going to come out, and they're going to play a song. What we want you to do is just sit and listen to the lyrics. Think about maybe some of you are going through suffering right now. You're going through a very difficult time. Let God, through his spirit, minister to you in this place. Some of you have past hurts and hang-ups that that you've never been able to move on from. And maybe God is going to use today to, to take you that one next step closer in your journey. And some of you just need to get ready. And hear these words and hold the words of these songs deep in your soul for when the unexpected happens.
That night uh, that I learned about Kennedy's death, I was driving home from Chicago land, backcountry roads, 
family's mostly asleep, plugged into technology and just sobbing. Karen's like, do you want me to drive? I'm like, no, but you probably should. And that song came on and God used it in that moment to minister to me, to my hurt, to my suffering. Trust. Trust that God is good. Even when it seems like he's not, even when your world's falling apart around you. Trust. Let's pray. Father God, we surrender our will to you. We surrender our hurt, our loss, our pain, our suffering. We don't ask you to take it away from us because it's in our suffering that you meet us. It's in life's difficulties when we sense you closer than even in life's joys and celebrations. So Father, we thank you. As hard as that is to say, we thank you for those moments when we struggle, when we suffer, when we lose, when we are just going through pain, tragedy, and heartache. Because we discover a side of you that we wouldn't have known otherwise. Thank you that you are our good, good Father. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This morning, um, Pastor Fabiano is just going to keep playing. You are free to go. Maybe don't bring lights all the way up, Travis, or whoever's back there, Chip. But bring them up a little bit just so people can see. We have prayer workers on the side. If you, if you want to go pray with one of the prayer workers this morning before you leave, we encourage you to do that. If not, that's fine. Just leave. Maybe if I can ask just, I think some people are going to stay in here and pray. Just leave quietly. If you're not in a, a life group, we get together this week and talk about this. We encourage you to sign up for one out of Connection Central. Get together with others and, and talk through this. Open up the book of Job and the book of Habakkuk. Talk about their lives and what they went through and the end results of what they experienced of God. Thanks. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for allowing us as a church to address this issue with you. To, to you guys, thank you for creating a safe space for me as I'm still processing Kennedy, still processing all of this other hurt and pain that I walk alongside others in the church with and many of you walk alongside others as well with. This is what it means to be a family of God. So thank you. Thanks for being here today.